Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. Normally, a news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about the world of books and reading. Today is not that day. Today is episode two, part two of our holiday recommendation extravaganza. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend for those of you stateside. Um, I'm sure things happened. Who knows what happened? The the big news this week we're not talking about is, did you see that uh, PRH threw its hands up about Simon & Schuster? I did see that. We're we're not interested. We're we're Mm -hmm. done. So $200 bonus for Paramount to get. get. And I'm (laughs) sure, I think at this point, that Simon's going to go to HarperCollins or Hachette. Um, I think Hachette probably will buy them. That's my guess right now. But anyway... Part two of our recommendation request a thon. Um, I don't. We did all the preamble before. We're going to get right into it. But first, a sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So, Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality, and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student, but how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book, titled The Dare, is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. 
All right. I think I read the last one. Why don't you begin reading? Here, sure. Uh, this is a listener requesting books for themselves. Fascinated by all things related to the world and books and reading, which they note is a tagline <laughs> they've heard somewhere before. Curious, uh, but they don't work in the industry or anything proximate to it. Curious if we have any recommendations, fiction or non, that relate to publishing or the book industry in some way. Uh, they say, I'm not a writer and not interested in the how to get published types of books, interested mm. in learning more about and getting immersed in this world. Uh, so they've read things like The Other Black Girl, The Story Life of A.J. Fickery, and the recent graphic novel, A Career in Books, which I believe is by Kate Gavino. Yeah. Um, so looking for something that they say is like this podcast's book sibling, do we have any suggestions? I got the one here. I mean, you do. For, for nonfiction, this is... I don't think there's even th- anything like this. This is Merchants of Culture, The Publishing Business in the 21st Century by John Thompson, really covering the book industry since the 60s, when the modern publishing industry, as we know it, really formed, when the big houses, there's that was really the first wave of consolidation. All the imprints that you've heard of were their own publishing companies <laughs> at that <laughs> point, whether it's Scribner or Knopf or whatever, but really the, um, I guess the corporatization, the giant corporatization uh, started happening in the 60s. And so the modern world of publishing, we're still living in that world. Um, this came out in 2012. I read it several years ago. I think when I was looking for annotated episodes or when I knew I was, we were going to do that show, I started here. Mm-hmm. I was like, what kind of angles can I find? And it definitely talks about Amazon, though I don't know. I mean, this is 10 years ago now, so things have changed. But has the has the publishing industry really changed since 2020, since 2012? The only I thing I would so. add is the book talk stuff, but from a merchants of culture point of view, that's a word of mouth vortex, and I don't know yet that we know enough about what it means, doesn't mean for the future, how it can be harnessed to suggest that it's changed the pillars of the earth of publishing. So I think this still holds what I'm trying to say, Rebecca. What do you think? I think that still holds as well. I really liked that one. And I think that I read it on your recommendation around that mm-hmm. same time. Just learned a lot about the background yeah. of the industry. That'll give you a good one. Um, on the fiction tip, I have not read this, but a bunch of booksellers that I know really liked it this year. It's a novel called Bookish People by Susan Call. And it is set at a Washington, D.C. independent bookstore. It's a comic, like comic in the comedic sense. Um mm novel that takes place over the course of one summer week. It's narrated by two women who work in the store. There's like some political turmoil and some other stuff going on. And um, a friend of mine who owns a bookstore actually sent it to me and was like, I need you to read this at some point because I need to have a perspective from someone who doesn't own a bookstore on whether this is just like the most perfect book about working in a bookstore (laughs) or if I'm too close to it. (laughs) So I think if you want to be on the inside, that's one that's gotten the bookseller stamp of approval, at least in my circle, and it looks like a lot of fun. Sounds good. Um, Up next, I need a gift recommendation for myself. I read Bad Blood earlier this year, and I have been left with a craving for more true crime that doesn't involve violence. I especially like the journalist on a mission to uncover the truth aspect. So bonus points if you can recommend something with that. I also mostly do audiobooks, so an audio version has to be available. Rebecca, you can begin. All right. I would start with An Ugly Truth by Shira Frankel and Cecilia Kang. It's a book that came out, I believe, in 2021, last year, Mm. about Facebook. 
And so it was really interesting then. It might be even more interesting now as we're sort of seeing what's going on with Meta. But they are two journalists who spent years developing contacts at Facebook and really in the wake of the 2016 election, trying to put together like, what the hell is going on over there? Is anybody paying attention to security stuff? (laughs) Can they really be more concerned with growth than with like public safety in the countries where they can allow all sorts of information to run rampant and it is I knew it would be damning like I have read some things about Facebook it was more damning than I expected you get sort of all that good insidery journalist stuff and then all the same sort of like eyebrow raising wow people really make these decisions don't they <laughs> kinds of stuff that you <laughs> that you get in bad blood um if it's okay for the violence to like I know you said you want stories where there's no violence the violence is off the page in She Said by Jody Cantor yeah, and Megan Toohey. Right. Um, but they are the New York Times researcher or journalists who researched and broke the story about Harvey Weinstein that sort of kicked off the wave of Me Too in 2017. And so you hear about the things that happened to the women that they've spoken to, but that's not like in detail on the page. It's a lot of, you know, gumshoe, you know, foot leather journalists chasing stories down. Um, It's a really great book. I listened to it on audio. I can recommend that. Um, And maybe for a more like looky-loo kind of aspect, The Cult of We, which is about WeWork um, and Adam Newman and just the, you know, kind of huckster fraud situation Mm -hmm. there um, would be really interesting. Um, the one I go to these days for this, um, is the, is just billion dollar whale by Tom Mm -hmm. Wright and Bradley Hope. It is the story of a guy named Joe Lowe, who became maybe the biggest con man in, in sheer dollar terms I've ever heard of, uh, Sam, this Bankman Freed fella is going to give him a run for his money because you're talking mm-hmm. about publicly traded corporate fraud at this point. Um, this was basically inveiling himself into the world of sovereign wealth funds, especially the Malaysian government sovereign wealth funds. And basically through fraud and con and charm and smarm and partying and <laughs> greasing the social wheels, got people to give him un earthly sums of money on almost no diligence, let alone due (laughs) diligence. Uh And it has a hyper-realistic quality to it that I'm not, I'm I'm surprised there's not a a movie of this or TV show. This is the story I'm still kind of waiting to see because I think it's in a lot of ways more tawdry than even the the, um, Theranos or um, WeWork stuff because it's intersects with Hollywood. Like mm-hmm. Leo DiCaprio shows up in these scenes. Joe Lowe and his Sovereign Wealth Fund funded the Wolf of Raw Street, which is about financial fraud. You can't make this stuff up. I don't even know. Like my brain still has a hard time really getting around it. It's really, it's pretty long, though the audio version is very good. I'm trying to see right now. I guess it's only 400 pages, though if you listen on one speed in audio, that can be fairly long. Um, but I thought it was really, really good. It's going to scratch with a lot of the bad blood itch. I think the thing that's different, that makes bad blood different, um, A, it's propulsive. I think it has a page turn mm-hmm. quality. But also, at some level, financial fraud like this is fairly boring because there's nothing there. <laughs> with bad blood, at least, there's like this promise of this new technology, right? And we can still sort of guess, or there's like part of you that wonders if she thought there was something there at some point. Whereas Joe Lowe, he, 
there was no like, I don't know, I'm going to change the world of pharmaceuticals or whatever it's going to be. It's just fraud from day one. It's just fraud built on fraud. And the incredulity I felt myself building, I had a friend and coworker, Clint, read it, and we would just text each other back and forth. It's like, can you believe the, the scene with the yacht? Can you believe the scene with 50 Cent in the in the thousand bottles of crystal? I was like, no, I can't believe it. So anyway, you can hear in my voice my continued exasperation and the audacity and banality of it, I think, combined make it a really interesting um, peek into a world that exists, and it's possible to penetrate, inflate, and then, well, I won't spoil the ending, because <laughs> the ending itself is interesting, though I've, I've lost track of where he is now, but by the end of the book, it's in a very unusual place. Yeah, that's a great pick for this one. Bob and I listened to that on audio on a trip together, and it was a, a, a really good Venn diagram book selection yes. for us, but just really astonishing people do things they do things and they that you you falsify books and you can just do it sometimes if you yep you know get deutsche bank to falsify books for you and that can happen it's like great that makes wild. everyone feel worse about the, the world stability uh All let's right. see well, i think you're I, up next yeah. yeah i will read this next one which is great because this one is directed specifically to be a jeff joint there she says are. i'm back the lady with the husband who likes everything jeff recommends <laughs> Last year, I got him Salter's The Hunters, so ring the bell for that again, and Rooney's About Time, A History of Civilization in 12 Incredible Clocks. Incredible stuff. I cannot, I still cannot believe that's a book, and he loved them both. The Hunters has risen to one of his favorite books of all time, where it should be. Uh, this year, he has also read The Aeneid and Thunder on something that is maybe a typo. I don't so know Jeff, that word, D-N-E-R-P-R? That's I'm thinking one. that has to be a typo. Um, yeah. So Jeff, what books are on your wish list? I don't think that's the question you're asking um, because <laughs> I contain multitudes. It's true. And this is only a part, though, a part I, I enjoy quite a bit. I don't think anything on my wish list. Um, we're going to do a books we missed this year as a Patreon episode. So that might be the one that if, if one appeared in the tree, though, no one, everyone knows not to buy me books. This is not the recommendation, but I will say the one that I am circling buying and I want to have it in print, though I did look on the audio because if the author narrator would buy it that way, is Quentin Tarantino's Cinema Speculation I'm super interested in. Um, but that's not the book here. But I'm, that's my that's my wish list book. That it would be a good gift for me. I think I think your fellow needs a more towels at this point. Mm. I think it's Gentlemen in Moscow and the Lincoln Highway. Uh, that's and maybe even start with Gentlemen in Moscow because. It, the gentleman in Moscow, the premise is there's a Russian noble who is living in this hotel in Moscow. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. And during the Russian Revolution, he's there, and he gets his titles and lands and everything stripped, but strikes a deal basically with the, the local factotum of the, of the Soviet party to, as long as he stays in the hotel, he doesn't get shipped off to the gulag or whatever. So it's several decades of him living in this hotel and, and making a life for himself. And I know that sounds dark, and it kind of is, but it's charming. It has a Wes Anderson-like quality to it that's quirky and urbane um, and romantic and sentimental, but also very detail-oriented and very sort of mannered, which I think is really cool. And then The Lincoln Highway is really wonderful. Um, 
on on my list, I don't have the title from me that's coming out next year. It didn't even make it to the deals, deals, deals section because I was so embarrassed. But a history of the world in twelve eggs, Rebecca, is one that I'm <laughs> circling. I'm looking at that. That's a real book. I don't know the title. I'll find it for you in the future. Um, the oh, other one I, I would like not I, ready. Look, the one I might suggest is um, I think it's called Seven Games by Oliver Reader. R O E D E R. I'll I'll look it up in the show notes. Um, I realize I didn't put it the full name in my other notes here on my paper, um, but that one's really interesting as well. And I think I talked about it on the show, but each game basically follows the each chapter follows this particular game from you know antiquity to when a computer could beat it. So it starts with checkers and moves on to chess to bridge to poker, and the and the chapter about the world's greatest checker player. And his relationship with the programmer who was trying to build a computer to beat him is so wonderful and charming that I would also read an Amor Tell's book about that relationship. So that's that's me crossing the streams right there. So uh, Seven Games by Oliver Reader and then I think Gentlemen in Moscow by, by Tells is where I'd start. Um, those are my two picks. All right. Next one is going to be you as well, because this is one, this is an area where I, st- I have nothing. Um, yeah. I think we get a version of this question every year. <sighs> yeah, why don't I go ahead and read this? Um, okay. My mom is a middle school English teacher and an avid reader. Her Christmas list this year says she would al- she always would love a good mystery book. Lately, she has loved the Inspector Gamache series by Louise Penny and generally gravitates a little more toward the cozy end of the mystery spectrum rather than the thriller end. And she would prefer something written written recently, like in the last 40 years or so. No Golden Age Mysteries, please, even though those are some of my favorites. Thanks for any recommendations you're able to share. Yeah, we get this one from time to time. We're not really cozy mystery people, frankly. Um, the closest I get, which is my recommendation here, is Sherry Thomas's Lady Sherlock series, which it's, it is what it sounds like. What if Sherlock Holmes was a lady. And in this one, now I'm getting, I'm going to cross the stream to the Nola Holmes too here, which frankly right now in my house is like, it's the best thing since sliced bread. My kids love it. They've watched it several times. A lot of fun. There's a rec for a Nola Holmes too, for all of you out there. Um, but this one, Sherlock Holmes is the public persona of a woman who can't be a private detective because of sexism in the Victorian era. And it has a cozy out, like you know Sherlock Holmes is going to figure it out, and you know that she's not going to get killed by Moriarty or whatever. So I think it has that element, and also there's the Victorian mood build, world building that I think a lot of people like when it comes to reading these kinds of stories of, you know, pipes and sort of vaguely steampunks and hats and all the, the gentility that goes alongside it. I've read all of these. I read them when come out and then totally forget the plot after I'm done with them three months later, which I think is kind of a thing with mystery series of this kind. Mm-hmm. So Sherry Thomas's Lady Sherlock series would be my my pick there. Um, but there you go. That's the best I can do for you. All, all right. right. You want to read the next one here? Yeah, this is from a longtime listener, first time caller, said some very nice things about our podcast here so thank you for that uh they're requesting recommendations for it's from mal requesting recommendations for herself um says she's been curling into the genres that were most comfortable during the pandemic literary fiction and thrillers and rom-coms and memoirs and now is starting to get out of the pandemic haze want to stretch my reading again some of their favorite authors are curtis sittenfeld jasmine guillory Catherine mcgee uh, celeste ing taylor jenkins reed you know she has a debut novel 
out. Uh, is Wade Hooch? Is it going to be? Do you think there's a is the buzz I've heard. Going on Taylor Jenkins? It might Reed? be. Yeah, oh. pretty good buzz on Taylor wow. Jenkins Reid, Colson Whitehead, and Emma Straub. Uh, the genre that she finds most challenging is sci-fi fantasy, and would love some recommendations. Really liked Children of Blood and Bone. Also read more recently and really enjoyed the Cartographers. Has tried N.K. Jemisin and also Kelly Braffitt's The Unwilling, but neither were really their cup of tea. Um, and also they like to follow O'Neill's Razor. So yeah, a completed series recommendation would be appreciated. Extra points if there's a good audiobook. Extra, extra points if it features BIPOC characters. And extra, extra, extra points if it is somehow also a campus novel. Boy, I'm glad they like the cartographers because that's the only <laughs> one I can think in the, in, the, in the middle of all of those. Oh, man. I think I might have to take the cartographers on my trip next oh, month. I've go. been thinking that's about reading idea. that for a while. Um Let's see. You want to go first? Oh, I'm I go up. first. Yeah, okay. I'll go first. You read it. Um, so this is sci-fi, and it is on the more literary spectrum. It's a single. It's a standalone. I th- I don't think there's going to be more. Though I should check this. I've been fooled before. But as far as I know, O'Neill's Razor cuts clean on this particular one. It's called The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. Mm. It's sci-fi, and the setup here is the main character works for this quasi-governmental agency and the technology that she wields is to go into other versions of the universe to record and collect data and there's some reasons this particular person isn't is amenable to being into these other parallel universes and she gets caught up with other versions of her own life in those universes and then becomes political really great characters really striking family dynamics. Um, I thought this was wonderful last year. I know a lot of the book riot people that read science fiction fantasy really liked this last year, enough where I was like, I need to read this book, and I'm glad, because it was really Mm. great. And I need to see what else Micaiah Johnson is doing, because it's the kind of book that feels like (sighs) augurs an interesting career, because it's not... It's not something I've ever read before, especially when it comes to the effects of this particular technology and really fascinating cross dynamics. You know, you read multiple universe kinds of stories like, you know, Marvel is doing this now, but this takes the ramifications of multiple versions of people that are slightly different and does some really, really interesting stuff with it. And it's good plot and characters and relationships. Um, I thought it was really terrific. Uh, A BIPOC, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a campus novel, unfortunately. Um, I don't know about the audiobook. I know there is one. I did this in print. So, Space Between Worlds, Makai Johnson. All right, mine. Let's see. I think if you're into literary fiction and you struggle with sci fi fantasy, Ishiguru is a really good place. Mm to try to go as a person who is into literary fiction and struggles with some sci-fi fantasy. Um, I don't I don't know if uh, Mal's problem with sci-fi fantasy is the world building stuff that I have a hard time with, but I find Ishiguru to be like, I'm perfect. guessing the NK Jemison situation. There's a lot of world building in Jemison, yeah. and I could guess that might be what's going on here. I don't know. The you just get kind of fully dropped into yeah. the world he's created, but it's pretty close in all of the Ishiguru cases to the world we live in now with, except some like notable differences that are laid out pretty quickly, but the vibes are strong. The writing is beautiful and you will not like the dude is a Nobel winner. Like you're in masterful mm. hands and you'll, you'll never 
not know what's happening in a way in in a place where you should know what's happening. There are some places where you won't know what's happening because he doesn't want you to know what's happening yet. Um, But I think that's a really good place to go. Also, I don't know, coming off the top of my head as we're talking about it, maybe The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. You know, it's been a while since we've heard The Sparrow cross Rebecca Shinsky. I know. We got to ring a bell for that one, too. Mm -hmm. Um, A sci-fi premise that the Jesuits discover music coming from a far-off planet, and they assemble sort of a motley crew of people to to go to that planet and meet (laughs) the other beings who live there and, and, you know, try to understand what other life in the universe is like. a really beautiful and well-written book that also is like familiar. You're familiar with most of the things in it to read it. There's you don't have to build and construct a whole new thing in your head. So I think I might try mm. that one. Um, we ride upon sticks by Quan Berry. I wanted to toss in because I thought it was really fun and weird. It's narrated in a plural first person voice, which is also a thing that I love when it's done well by the members of a girl's, a field hockey team from near Salem, Massachusetts in the 1980s. And they've had a bad season, so they make a deal with the devil to get a winning season by signing their names in an Emilio Estevez notebook, like the most 1980s thing possible. Um, but it, So it's ki- kind of a sci-fi or fantasy premise, but you're in the heads of these teenage girls. Um, maybe they are possessed by something. Maybe something else is going on. Um, mm. But just a, a really different and unique kind of book. Um, it takes place on at high school, but I wouldn't call it a campus novel. Um, and then I don't know how I landed at when I was making notes for this in the dream house by Carmen Maria Machado. I was but I staring put it at the book. I want to see how you land this plane because uh, you're upside down and looped a loop right here. Yeah. The place I, I think the way I ended up there was each chapter of the book is told in a different genre. And it's, it's about a relationship, an abusive relationship that she had with a former partner. Um, she is a person of color. She is queer. And she's writing about you know, intimate partner violence that doesn't get nearly enough you know, attention or activism around it um, when it happens outside of hetero relationships. So that's important by itself. But that you don't have to be super versed in any of these genres because she just boils each one down to its essential components and you spend like maybe 20 pages in that, um, in the mystery version, in the sci-fi version, in the fantasy version. So you can stretch, this is how I ended up there, you can stretch your reading legs into like 20 different directions Mm. um, by moving through the book. I thought it was a marvel. Um, if I had understood what people meant when they said each chapter is written as a different genre, I would have like I would have read it much sooner. Um, mm. So I think that would. It's just a wonderful book. Um, I would say jump in. All right. But, yeah. Okay. All right. Your I'm read. Up next. Yep. Uh, hello. Hello. I'm looking for a recommendation for myself. I'm trying to find a good book for that small town coziness in Gilmore Girls vein. It doesn't have to be an everything is perfect small town. I recently enjoyed this sentence, which gave a similar feeling. You know, I wouldn't have thought this is Jeff speaking to think of the sentence as a small town close knit oh. community book, but it really is. That's a that's a great call out, Grace. That um, is a good call here. out. I have to have to file that one away. Um, my other favorites have been Storied Life of AJ Fickery, check. Any Jenny <laughs> Colgan book, check. The City Baker's Guide to Country Living and the Bookish Life of Nina Hill, check. I enjoy romance and contemporary fiction, but will take anything bar. Mystery, horror, or fantasy. 
I get to ring a bear bell here in a minute. Bonus point that it involves baking or if there's a bookstore library. I have my bell ready, but before I get to my bell, um, RJS, you're up. Yeah, I don't have bookstores or baking, which I, I need someone to recommend me some cute novels that have baking in them for as much as I bake mm. in my life. Um, but I would send you directly to The Switch by Beth O'Leary, which I think I mentioned last week on You've the first this, round yeah. of recommendations but it's about a um, a young woman who's living in london she's having sort of a you know quarter life existential crisis and her grandmother uh, who lives in a small town uh, somewhere in britain and grandma is also recovering from what one of my friends would call a revolution of being she's had some major changes in her life uh, and is ready for a new start and so they trade places the young woman moves into grandma's small town grandma moves to london and like grandma gets up to some interesting stuff. She has some capers in London, but the real heart of the book is the relationship that the young woman develops with all of the older folks who live in Grandma's small town. Who like mm-hmm. she's going to local like game nights at the community center. She's volunteering to do stuff. Um, she's you know sort of getting grounded in the perspective that there's bigger stuff out there and more life to be lived than the way that she had thought about her career. You know, is living in London. Um, but it's just a really nice charming, warm cast of characters. Um, And then maybe a little bit out of the, it's not as feel good as like the Gilmore Girls Mm -hmm. vibe. It's not a small town, but had that feeling of it to me is on the rooftop. My Margaret Wilkerton Sexton, which came out earlier this year. It's about um, a family of black women that are living in a historic neighborhood in San Francisco. Uh, the mother's dream was to become a famous singer. And when she was not successful, then it became her dream to have her three daughters become like a girl group, basically, in the 50s and 60s. Um, and the book moves between all of their perspectives, but they're so contained in this neighborhood and the community that it feels it has that small town vibe. Several of them live like right across the street or in the same building. The book takes its, its title from the fact that mom would have the three daughters go up to the rooftop top of their building to rehearse their songs and then like we go to the nightclub and watch them perform we see what happens when one of the daughters wants to rebel and make some other choice with her life and not be in this girl group that her mom is trying to make happen Uh, and it was just every character was interesting and fun to spend time with I love the music from that time period and I could just hear it sort of running uh, on a track in my head she mentions uh, in the narration a lot of you know real life famous singers and famous songs and so if you like that vibe um, but also maybe with the music angle um, I think that's a good person a good uh, yeah that's a good one to take now let's ring a bell for you ring a bell it's not about bookstores or libraries or bakings nor does it have a romance in it but my favorite cozy commercial fiction could be a sub it could have been a spinoff from a girl, Gilmore Girls episode mm-hmm. if only Rory was nine and liked to sing jazz, basically. It's 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie Helene Bartino. We've recommended almost every year because it has that thing you're looking for, which is a small group of people. This is a, a, a small community because it's within a larger city. But there's a nine-year-old whose family has a jazz club and they need to raise $30,000. And it's set on the Christmas Eve Eve said in one night and it's just charming as heck it Rebecca. Is. there's it just is. no other way to it's just as charming as charming can be also sidebar only 356 ratings on amazon which what? for a book that we talk about is shockingly low 
<laughs> it is, and it's so charming. And I feel like it was talked about a lot the year that it came out. I don't even remember how this it's book... It's been a while. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember how it came it. into my awareness. Probably Liberties. If you don't yeah. know how you heard about a book, it was probably from Liberties. <laughs> a pretty good pretty baseline. Good. Get. It's wonderful. I would think we'd sold more copies of it than that, just I talking know. about it here for the last I'm gonna decade. go. I'm going to go rate it right after we're done here. Get that baby up to 357, the Magnum, as I like to call it. you got to get to the Magnum at least. Um, you know, I'm also going to recommend quickly... Um, you may have heard me talk about it, but all of the words you are saying are pointing and shaping an arrow in the shape of Book Lovers by Emily Henry, which mm. I've talked about. If you haven't read Emily Henry yet, Grace, I'm guessing you probably have just because it's a phenomenon and you're a book nerd. But if you haven't, I think Book Lovers will scratch a lot of the issues. I, I prefer to him at the cat's pajamas myself. It's it's a little stranger I think there's another thing about Gilmore Girls that goes underrated. It's pretty weird. That's it's true. It's extremely quirky and weird. And I think 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas, Cat's the quirkiness. And it's not even like a Zoe Deschanel. Like, I'm not using that to be condescending. Like, I, I guess maybe even trending a little more towards the bizarre. Um, and I think 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas does that more than Book Lovers does. Book Lovers, it's not weird, whatever else you're going to say about it. Um, whereas to him with the cash pajamas, you can tell in the title. That's a weird title. It's a weird title. <laughs> it's a strange idea for a book, but it's great. So there we go. All right. I think it's your read. Oh, another Jeffy book. Okay. God, yes. Geez. Wow. Jeez. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is from Allison who wants the Jeffiest Jeff book out there. Uh, preferably ones we haven't recommended before because good chance they read it. Partly for... Allison's dad, partly for Allison. Um, An idea of things I like. This year I've read a 1,000-page biography of the Queen Mother. Meet Me by the Fountain by Alexandra Lang. A.J. Jacobs' new book, Who Ate the First Oyster by Cody Something, and How the Other Half Eats by Priya Fielding Singh and Taste by Stanley Tucci and more. Currently reading The Tiger by John Valent. Hoping to get the newest Candace Millard book soon. All right, Jeff. (laughs) The Jeffiest Um, Jeff book. You asked for it, man. I don't know what to tell you, Allison. Here we go. Be careful out there. Don't be a hero. Take a look at it, but look at it first. I'm I'm picking The Man from the Future by Ananyu um, Bhattacharya, which is a biography of John Van Neumann, who we joke about this all the time on the show, may be the most interesting man of the 20th mm-hmm. century. He found himself at the center of mathematics, computing, Physics, military politics, just a remarkable place to be. I mean, if Michael Lewis had a time machine, he would go spend a year with John Van Neumann in like (laughs) 1966 or something like that. So if Michael Lewis's next book is about John Van Neumann, uh, you'll know it's a really remarkable portrait of of a fascinating person who is sort of like... He's like the opposite of Forrest Gump, who finds himself in the middle of all these world events because he's just the sharpest dude ever. So he's useful in all these different fields. And it's a time in computing and physics and mathematics where you could be almost a Renaissance person of the time. It's harder to do this now because everything is more specialist. But in the dawning of the computer and digital age, he was a remarkable person in a remarkable time. And will make you feel smarter just for knowing about John. How, how many people do you know would even know 
Like if you know, you know, he's one of those kinds of figures. So it's long. It's got quite a bit. It's very well written. It's not Stephen Johnson writing about John Van Neumann. Um, it's another nerd writing about John Van Neumann. <laughs> like Stephen Johnson is a nerd, but you know what I'm saying, Rebecca. He's not a yeah, nerd. He's, nerd. he's a nerd who hosts the TED podcast. Like he's there a you go. Nerd. Right, right, right. It's it's called TED Talks, not TED Codes. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> right. All right. Let's see. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but nerdier than Steven Johnson for the like mm. where stuff comes from, how it got made is The Alchemy of Us by Anissa Ramirez came out a few years ago. I really loved it. Um, a deep dive into some of the key scientific discoveries and creations, inventions that shaped modern culture and how culture shaped them. So if you're into the Stephen Johnson of it all, you will really like The Alchemy of Us. And brand new, since you mentioned Stanley Tucci and food stuff kind of adjacent, it's not even out yet. It's coming out December mm. 6th, but you're shopping for yourself so you can get it. Uh, Your Table is Ready by Michael Checky Azalina. Oh, I want to um, read this. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. yeah, no, I'm listening to it on um, a preview uh, audiobook okay. right now. It's the subtitle is Tales of a New York City Maitre d', and he has worked in New York City restaurants for 30 years it presents itself as the front of house version of a kind of kitchen Mm. confidential Um, and he's writing about some of the same time period in new york city restaurants that bourdain was writing about so it has that same like gritty quality like their stories about the staff are either like going up to the bathroom to take bumps of coke uh, in between serving tables or they're going up to the bathroom to have a quickie in between serving tables maybe both at the same time that kind of thing Uh, but like who's greasing whose palms, uh, what kind of shenanigans happen, what kind of power you can accrue being the maitre d' at a fancy New York City restaurant, also juicy, juicy gossip. Um, I'm like two hours into the nine-hour audiobook. It's very enjoyable. If you're into that vibe, I think that you will enjoy it. So that is Your Table is Ready. You can pre-order it, and it'll show up for yourself. Maybe you'll have forgotten you pre-ordered it, and that's always like a nice little gift when that happens. Uh. I think also um, this next one, listen, Victoria, who you're up next, your table is ready for the next request mm-hmm. too. Uh, you'll, you'll understand why I'm going to read it in a second. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. 
Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Uh, dear Jeff and Rebecca, some nice things about us. Oh, this is funny. I need help from the woman I want to be when I grow up and the little fancy boy on the internet. Got a lot of emails about little fancy. People, people enjoy that. I hope it's... <laughs> ironically or laughing with not at or at least around uh, maybe i'll get you a t-shirt that says that (laughs) (laughs) too spicy um hello from a silent lurker who recently joined your patreon i hope you still okay let's see i would love to get my dad a book for christmas as he really does love to read and get so passionate about books he enjoys but he can be quite particular in what he is looking for in a reading experience like lizzie bennett he loves to laugh but he also loves to be hit with a dose of sentimentality the only surefire subject matter I can bet on is food. You've come to the right place. Mm-hmm. He absolutely loved um, Jacques Pepin's The Apprentice, My Life in the Kitchen, and Bread Song, How Baking Changed Your Lives by Kitty and Al Tate. He really is an old softie who loves nonfiction books that highlight the intersection between the physical experience of cooking, baking, and then internal emotional experiences that make the physical process meaningful and memorable. <coughs> Life is Meals by James Salter. <laughs> uh-huh. We don't have to do that again, but there we go. I would love to know if you have any recommendations that hit that sweet spot. Uh, let's break them up. Let's start there. So this is for okay. Victoria's dad in Europe. Oh, the food books. Welcome, dad. Yep. Um, Tender at the Bone by Ruth Reichel really gets at what that like sense memory of being in the kitchen and tasting yeah. the food and having it connected to like your childhood and life and love and all of those things. That's one of my just all time favorite food memoirs. Buttermilk Graffiti by Edward Lee, um, kind of set up as a road trip around the U.S. looking at what does it actually mean? when? What do we mean when we talk about mm-hmm. melting pot culture and melting pot food culture in particular? It's just wonderful. He's a great, just a hell of a writer. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed that. I stumbled on Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger by Lisa Donovan in a bookstore a couple of years ago, and it's about how she sort of fell into becoming a baker who eventually worked at some of the fanciest, most famous restaurants in Nashville and Charleston. And then I had the final thought of like maybe for dad, particularly Dirt by Bill Buford, which is about the year that he spent in Paris, like in his middle, late middle age, um, spent this year in Paris trying to train to become a French chef. (laughs) Does it go well, Rebecca? How well does it it go? It goes the way that you want one of these books to go in order to (laughs) be very entertaining. Fiasco man. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Fiasco man. (laughs) It's going to be part of our lexicon now. Um, It's funny and charming and self-deprecating. And you get like actually some of the little small town vibes because he's in a particular neighborhood in Paris and gets to know all of the neighborhood characters and the local baker and all that stuff. But he's very, let's say, humbled 
by the experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What about you? Uh, for me, um, 52 Loaves by William Alexander, I've talked about on the show before. I may even recommended this before. William Alexander writes these, I don't know what you call them, sort of a fiasco man of his own kind where he gets, he takes on these big projects and they get away from him a little bit. And this one, he's trying to um, recreate one loaf of bread that he has. I think it's just a Como loaf, maybe? I can't remember exactly. Mm. Something fairly simple, but like anyone who knows anything about bread, the simple, perfect loaf of bread is like, I don't know. It's like looking at a Mark Rothko. It's like, that looks easy. <laughs> have fun with that. <laughs> yeah. So he bakes, a, he bakes a loaf of bread every week for a year to try to get closer and closer. And things get out of hand when he's like, goes to decide to go to a French monastery for a couple weeks with <laughs> silent monks. You know? I think the lesson here is if you get if you're like maybe I should get on a plane just stop just you know what let's think about this let's just pause for a minute but it's self-deprecating and winning and again he's trying to, every every week he's giving like his kids and his wife this bread and they're like that one's pretty good and he's like is it they're like no not and it makes him nuts it's oh, it's man. very charming and infuriating um I like that too and then the 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 man all of us want to be some version of whether or not you're a man's like so, you, there's a version of us that wants to be some version of Stanley Tucci that resonates with our identity, whatever that looks like. <laughs> do taste by Stanley Tucci. Just do that. Just do Can it. We it's do a that? perfect choice. Yeah. Just, it's, it's, it's really great. I don't know if he likes audio, but as you might imagine, a wonderful narrative experience as well. So those are my two. Okay. Uh, the second part, I guess. Oh, also me. I'll go back to the read. So the second part okay. of this recommendation request, we do have time for for my marmy. Which I'm guessing is a grand parental unit. I haven't seen that appellation uh, put that way, but I'm from context clues putting that together. Who loves the classics and looking for a similar experience with more modern writers? Her favorite books are Secret Garden, Tessa Duberville's Little Women, Wuthering Heights, Jane Eyre, Jane Austen. She loves Sophie Irwin's 2022 debut novel, A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting. Have you read any period books from the last couple years that you would recommend for somewhat casual reading, typically before bed? I'm changing my pick because I was way afield. I was like, this is too ambitious. I had Remains of the Day because, well, you could, you know why, Rebecca. Is that too ambitious? Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think of my pick for Remains of the Day before I get to yours? I'm having a I mean, crisis about it. If your bedtime reading is Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre, I think you you can do Remains of the yeah, Day. I think so, too. Yeah. It's just a little... It's not quite as comfy as those books. The Wuthering Heights, mm-hmm. I mean... I don't know, the Austin ones, it feels darker and more ennui-laden than any of those. Um, Maybe. But that's a more modern take, I guess. I wonder, you know what? Maybe The Gentleman of Moscow by Tolls is a good pick here. It's very charming and period and ends, well, I mean, I don't want to give it away, but it's not a, he doesn't get, you know, got um, by the, I don't know who, the, the KGB of 1938 or whatever is. He has a wonderful relationship with the girl he meets. Not not a romantic one, but a young girl who comes regularly. And it's it's very charming. So remains of the day if you're feeling like you want to stretch Marmy a little bit. And then Gentleman in Moscow if you want to give give her a quilt to wrap herself up. Yeah. We're definitely going to have right, to sorry, install a, a bell for these recommendation shows for a mention of Amor Tolls. <laughs> 
Well, it is an interesting, it's an interesting one. I wonder, there's something else to be said about that, and I don't know what it is, but you're right. I'm, I'm going back to that well a lot. I think because it's unusual. There's a reason yeah. that people are, it's, it's not like a lot of other things out there. Okay, I'm sorry, I stepped in yeah, no, no. I really struggled with this as well. The period pieces are not my jam. And yeah. I kind of, I guess, like infamously don't like Jane Eyre <laughs> or Jane Austen. <laughs> um, so I didn't have anything that I could dip into from my own recent stuff, except we read The English Patient together earlier this year or sometime last mm. year for Adaptation Nation. And it we had did. that vibe to me of a book that could have been you know, an older classic. It's set, what, early 1900s? Um, well, it's 1939. Yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah. So not as old as the Wuthering Heights yeah. Jane Eyre setting. It, you know, gets a little darker than those. But yes. those books are not, I mean, you got ex-wives locked in attics. That's not like Well, Wuthering Heights <laughs> is weird. That's That's true. <laughs> I mean, Little Women and it's, Wuthering Heights are sort of not the same genre. I know they're yeah. classics, but they're not, they're not the same. It's not, and they're, 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 neither of them is what I would classify as light, casual reading. Those no, are also like no. the language in them is a little bit demanding. So I think Marmee yeah. is up to the challenge of the English patient. It's also a, a grand romance in parts of it. Um, so you get a little bit mm-hmm. of the same stuff that you get in some of the Jane Eyre and Jane Austen. I'm I'm willing to kind of go out on that limb for Marmy here okay. with the English patient, I think. As but. is your as is your prerogative to do. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, Who's next? Your read. Your read All right. Um, let's see. This is from Carrie, a high school freshman English teacher. Thank you for doing that work, Carrie, oh, uh, who obviously adores books and reading, uh, says, since I spend so much time on the novels I'm teaching, I'm looking for a recommendation for myself. I love anything that is beautifully written, but I'm not a fan of fantasy or science fiction. Loved The Night Circus and everything by Hannah Kent, Celeste Ng, and Toni Morrison. She trusts our taste, so let's take it away. Yeah, so I, um, because Swimmers came out this year, I've got Julia Tsuka on the mm. brain. And I was like, I feel like Julia Tsuka is the right choice here. But I, I don't want to do Swimmers, A, because we've talked about it a lot. And B, it's not very plotty. Like, it's two halves. You've heard us talk about it before. I want to go to her Penn Faulkner Award winning debut novel, The Buddha in the Attic, um, which is traces the lives of several women who come over to San Francisco as brides, basically. Mm. Um, and... It's it's fantastic. It's it's really wonderful. Um, it's the kind of book that maybe would be interesting to eventually teach at some point if you don't know it. Um, but I also like to see. I'm so glad to see Otsuka's career. I mean, you could do when the Emperor was divine was her second book. Both of those are very very good. But the Buddha and Attic was my first experience, and I still remember the reading experience very very vividly. And so I'm looking a little further afield for you, Carrie, because I'm guessing you've heard a lot of these books or a lot of the books we talk about. So I'm going to go deep backlist with Julie Atsuka's debut novel. And then an author that I don't know if I've talked about it all on the show, Tim Winton, who is generally so. considered Australia's greatest living novelist, if I understand this correctly. And Cloud Street was the first book I read by him. And it's a couple of families who live on a street, the same street in Australia. It's a family epic saga their lives get intertwined and i was really blown away and then i ripped through his the rest of his catalog um breath got turned into a movie about surfing in which there's a love triangle among surfers that's really great dirt music is about a couple of 
you know, uh, star-crossed lovers who kind of island hop around the coast of Australia surfing and making love and, you know, kind of forging direct this five from Mother Night, as you might know, that Kurt Vonnegut idea of making a mm-hmm. world for two. I love all of his books. And Cloud Street, I think, is the the magnum opus, generally considered, again, I'm not an uh, expert in Australian literature, um, but you might look at the Tim Witten catalog and whichever of those synopses strikes your fancy, pick one, because I think they're all pretty great. Um, and that would be a, a wonderful uh, surprise and new voice for you to find. Well, I'm going to okay. be getting myself some Tim Witten here. <laughs> I, want, I was trying <laughs> to think, I think... Uh, Breath is pretty short. It's pretty spicy as these things go. Um, well. Yeah, I don't know. We could talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's see. You're up. Let's see. Yeah, for Carrie, I had Sea of Tranquility because yeah. you said gorgeous writing. And it's spec fic, but not super yeah. hard to get your head around. But truly, yeah. truly gorgeous writing. If somehow you have not read Station Eleven... Get your time machine and go back ten years. And, and I almost read pulled that, that trigger well. several times this time, but some yeah. I, I didn't want to because we talked about it so much. But I'm right. glad you were mentioning. It's so beautiful. Here. Since you minute, since you mentioned Toni Morrison, I went for some more tough, some literary fiction on the difficult end of things. Yeah. Um, Perish by Latoya Jackson, which came out earlier this year and was a really astonishing debut novel, but is about multiple generations of women in a family who are all abused by like, the the oldest woman in the highest generation is abused by her father um, and becomes pregnant by him. And that is the seed of this family's legacy. And there is abuse throughout. It is Ugh. really difficult, like all the trigger warnings, but wonderfully written. Um, and then all this could be different by... Sarah Thuncombe Matthews, which was a National Book Award finalist, also a debut this year that I really, really enjoyed. Um, the style is just a, like a little bit different. It's about a woman in her mid to late 20s um, who is a first generation immigrant. She has moved, I think, from D.C. to somewhere in the Midwest to take a job. She's consulting. She's sort of also having that quarter life crisis, like something shady is going on with her work. Something challenging is going on in her personal life. She is queer but has not come out to her family because of concerns about how they will receive it and we are just sort of in her life with her for several months in the mess of being a a woman of color who's a first generation immigrant who's queer in this world in this time period um just really sharp there were some just truly great sentences and really sharp observations I was kind of pulling for it as one of the National Book Award finalists. Um, really enjoyed it. I think that might be up your alley, given some of these other authors that you've mentioned, too. So next All right. one is you. Yeah. Um, request from me, short ask. Niche nature memoirs essays that are also educated. Oh, you've co- I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. It's like the opposite of cozy mysteries for us. We, we, we love <laughs> right, this. We got this. Uh, I've loved The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating, Lab Girl, and Erosion. Specifically, I think these books have worked so well for me because they made learning interesting and accessible while reading. I'm open to any natural topics, but I have a specific interest in botany, foraging, herbalism, and small agriculture. Um, I should also mention I found Hope Jaron and Terry Tempest Williams style writing very comforting, although I can't mm. pinpoint about about what about it exactly, but I'm hoping since you recommend both of these, you know what I mean. On my radar already, braiding sweetgrass, gathering moss, pig ears, upstream, and wild. Um, pig ears. There you go. Look at that. There it I, is. I, yeah. I, there you go. Check, check, check. I think you'll <laughs> like that, uh, Val. 
I hope you guys will have some other recommendations up your sleeve, but if not, feel free to reinforce any of the books already on my radar. Oh, there we go. So pig ears. Um, I trust you guys since Lab Girl and Erosion have become all-time favorites that I would never mm-hmm. known about otherwise. Thanks. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Some other nice things here that Val says about this us. This is lovely. Very great. Uh, okay, RJS, you're up. Okay. The Home Place by J. Drew Lanham is a great one. I went, uh, I was recommended his work kind of on the heels of Terry Tempest Williams. Uh, He is a naturalist and a birder and grew up in the South, I believe, maybe even in parts of Virginia. And it is about his, his family. He's a black American. It's about his family's connection to the land that he grew up on, which they call the home place, um, to the creatures, particularly the birds of that place. Uh, He spends some of the time in the book telling us about being a volunteer for like a study where his job is to go and sit in particular places and just note the different types of birds and how many of each of them he sees. Um, Just but like, it's fascinating the way that he writes about it. And it rang the bells for me of getting like deep connection to the land and to a place um, from the perspective of a voice that isn't often privileged in nature writing. Mm -hmm. People of color's voices are not often privileged. I guess as a quick sidebar, though, if you like these kinds of books, get yourself to the Milkweed Publishing Catalog. Like just great mil- point. I love Milkweed, that for you. Yeah. Yes. Milkweed publishes tons of stuff about nature and the world, like nature and the natural world, all the botany, foraging, oh. herbalism, all the kinds of things that you're mentioning. They have a very diverse author list. Like nothing shows up in my mail from Milkweed that I don't think, oh, I'm probably interested in that. <laughs> so I think go there. Just like visit the Milkweed website and order yourself <laughs> a bunch of those. Um then also pick up World of Wonders by Amy Nazuku Makatil, um, which came out last year, I believe. It was the Barnes & Noble Book of the Year last year. She's it a was poet. last year, yeah. And these are like little, each one is, a, there's a bunch of little vignettes about some phenomenon or some animal in the natural world. And they're written as both factual things about like flamingos, but also interwoven with essay type stuff from her own life. Mm. So the flamingo piece is about flamingos, but it's also about what it felt like to be a teenage girl at that place where like, you're old enough to want to be really grown, but young enough where you can't quite sell it. And you're maybe a little awkward in your body, awkward in your Mm. legs, and you go out dancing and like, you want to feel graceful, but maybe are you kind of like a flamingo? (laughs) Um, It's really wonderful. Uh, And then to pass along a gift that um, Jeff recommended to me, maybe the first year that we ever did this show, um, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard, the closest thing I have found to the Terry Tempest Williams, Mary Oliver reading experience. So if somehow you have not encountered Annie Dillard, get thee to Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. What's Annie Dillard up to? It's a great question. I need to go look. Um, There's a new Annie Prue novel or book Mm -hmm. out called swamp bog moss or whatever about i was like oh boy annie i don't know i'm not sure if i can follow you into the swamp i'll read there's something about it's like the relationship of like these wetlands to climate change Mm -hmm. it's gonna be a heavy one that's gonna be tough to get into uh i got two picks one is called the naturalist at large by bernt heinrich um who is a college professor at a new england college i don't remember which one 
and he's an essayist that's been published all over the place. These are short entries that are collected from a bunch of different places, but they're basically he goes on walks outside and he knows things. Like, what if Bill Bryson knew about you know the woods? I'm gonna have to edit that out. Darn it, just made more more work for myself. But like, there's a this kind of spider or this kind of root or this kind of mushroom. I find it really engaging, and it's the kind of thing you could leave out. You don't have to read it cover to cover. In fact, it's probably not the best experience. Um, but you know, pick it up a little bit, one or two at a time. Um, he's really a charming and erudite writer and um, person of the world. The other one I'm going to recommend, I'd call for me, it's not as good as Lab Girl or Educated or one of those like elite memoirs, uh, H is for Hawk, but it's right under it and it's a little stranger in this regard it's called cutting back by leslie buck (laughs) and she does the hammerhead thing of like i'm gonna quit my job but instead of becoming a carpenter she moves to japan to become a japanese gardener apprentice oh wow Uh, and so she's cutting bonsai trees as an apprentice and picking up leaves and perfectly arranging you know you know the the basically the way again this came out five years ago, so I'm really going on memory here. One of the things that stuck with me is these elaborate Japanese gardens are really set up so that you, you're sitting on this one bench and looking at this particular view, right? So it's very, very manicured. It's not wild. It's not stuff like that. But it requires the same kind of scientific and intimate knowledge of the plants so you can get them to do what they want. And some of it is about that process, but also wanting to change your life, being very intentional, doing something slow and careful and exacting and maybe a little bit of the you know San Mandela that you make and exquisitely do and then dump into the liver uh, mm-hmm. river element of you know things change I thought it was pretty good also I was remembering too I looked I was like I think this is one of those presses like milkweed this is timber press it's an Oregon press I know you're gonna be shocked they do a lot of books about the woods <laughs> um, so you might look at the timber <laughs> press catalog as well to steal a trick out of Rebecca's book but that's the naturalist at large by Bernd Heinrich and cutting back um, by Leslie Book, which I did on audio, I should say, and, and very enjoy, very much enjoyed that several All years right. ago. This All next right. one. You're up to read. I yeah, this one comes from Val, looking for books that my husband and I can read together in front of the fireplace during the cold winter nights ahead. This is lovely. I'm glad that people I do love this. this. Yeah. He reads nonfiction almost exclusively, and I read primarily literary fiction. I'm willing to read nonfiction with him, but some of the tomes that he's read are a little too long to entice me. Books and authors he's enjoyed include all of David McCullough's work, Origin by Jennifer Raff, The Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee, and yes, Song of the Cell is already under consideration. He likes anything that has to do with history or science. Some nonfiction that she's read and appreciated include The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, and Bad Blood by John Carrie Rue um, would prefer to stay away from books about war, but otherwise open to suggestions. They lived in Paris for several years, and so they're intrigued by the era between World War One and World War Two. Can we recommend some nonfiction titles they might both enjoy? Um, I've got three picks. One, I'm really hoarding in that World War One, World War Two, kind of a, a, a minor wheelhouse of mine these days. But the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, which everyone knows is actually written by Gertrude Stein, mm-hmm. is the most approachable Gertrude Stein book, and it's not even close. But it's about her paramour, Alice B. Toklas, and Gertrude Stein's life in Paris between the wars. And like Hemingway shows up, and Picasso's there. And um, the slice of life is really incredible. And I think it would make for intimate, casual, light, but also very interesting reading. It feels it has a coziness because of the feeling of community you get from the book there. 
Um, I, I think I'm looking for the science history, and mm-hmm. Michael Lewis makes another appearance. Yeah. Is this our favorite Michael Lewis, Rebecca? I, this is kind of a stealth pick. Together, oh, do we think is I our think... favorite Michael Lewis, The Undoing Project? Mm. I think so, yes. So, and, and the reason is because it does two things which both of you and I really like. One is you're learning about big ideas. And this is Kahneman mm-hmm. and Tversky, who together basically shaped behavioral psychology as we understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman. Tversky, who died earlier, and part of it is their relationship. It's their relationship plus them doing this work. And then, this is not a spoiler to think, Tversky becomes ill, and they're kind of trying to wring everything they can out of their working relationship. Also, I would re- I would also watch an Aaron Sorkin written movie. One this, it has to, million percent. About these two people working together. And so you get the history, but also you get heart, and it really hits you right in the middle. I, I'm, I'm getting choked up a little bit thinking about it um, right now. My other thought was, you seem, Val, to be interested in racial politics, Mm-hmm. And one that straddles memoir, racial politics, literary fiction that both you and I, Rebecca, really liked is Negroland by Margot Jefferson. Yes. It's her memoir of growing up in an upper-class black family in the early middle parts of the century. And Margot Jefferson went on to become one of the foremost cultural critics um, of our time. I thought this book was really wonderful. It's not very long, um, and I think it's written personably, but also she has a very elevated style so it's, it has kind of a literary fiction quality to it even as a very intimate memoir um, and you learn a lot about really every person well not every person but a more on the ground kind of history that you're going to get so I think that would be an interesting um, pick for the both of you as well I love those picks for this and the undoing project made me you talking about it made me think I really want more of these books about like creative partnerships, two people working together, scientific partnerships, like where you see the work, but also the relationship. That stuff is like the Don and Peggy That's our favorite part of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, right? That was our favorite bit in the middle of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. I love all that stuff. Um, I also connected to Val's sort of notes here about interest in maybe racial politics. And I wanted to step a little bit outside like the straight shot through Mm -hmm. racial politics. It seems like she's probably covered those. So I was thinking, okay, well, she likes literary fiction. We're going to do some nonfiction writing that she's going to share with her husband. So I get to ring my bell because now I get to talk about A Little Devil in there America. There it is. It took a while. <laughs> We're here into hour three uh, between the two episodes. By so Hanif Abdurraqib. He's a poet. Poets writing essays is one of, I think, the best things that happens in literature. <laughs> and these are essays about Black performance. And he takes a very expansive approach to what black performance is. So some of this is about his own existence as a black man. Some of it is about the performances of black culture. And then some of it is uh, some of the pieces are about particular black performances, like there's a piece about Prince, there's a piece about Michael Jackson. Um, But there are also some pretty unexpected and just surprising and really interesting ways he finds his way into this idea of black performance. I really like his brain a whole lot. Um, the language is really beautiful. I, If you're reading out loud to each other, I think there are sentences that just would be wonderful yeah. to, to say. Um, and probably some stuff that prompts your own either connection to those same works that he's describing or new ideas that you hadn't heard about before. Just a really wonderful book. Um, if, if y'all 
all are interested in music at all and you want to do some straight up nonfiction about music, I also really, really liked Major Labels, A History of Popular Music in Seven Genres um, by Khalifa Sana. And each of the like seven chapters, it's so good, right? It's so good. Is about like a key label in rock music, a key label in country music, and like how that got established, who their big stars were, kind of all the marketing stuff, how one genre becomes big and has its been big heyday and then sort of fades as another genre rises and takes its place. All that stuff reminds me of stuff in the 90s by Chuck Klosterman, which was in our most giftable books of the year. So I'm just going to toss that to y'all here. I think that would be great. And right in the sort of science-y, more traditional science-y stuff that you're saying your husband likes, if he hasn't read I Contain Multitudes by Ed Young, which is about bacteria and just the like the multitudes of bacteria that are on all of us and all living creatures all the time, um, it's really amazing and super fun to mm. read as well. Like Ed Young's wonder at the world and his delight by all of the things that there are to know about bacteria really comes through and made that a really, really fun read. So that's what I would toss in there. I think lots of variety for this one. I yeah, want to know what you pick. There's a lot of ways to go. I would too, um, even if it's not this. Um, yeah. Did 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 she tell us what the ones that they like together? That she are the ones mm-hmm. that they've read together. It doesn't say. It says what he yeah. liked and what she liked. But what were the success of yeah. Fireside uh, reads? Oh, I think you set this all up, so I had to read this one. Okay, <laughs> this is the long con. All right, here we go. Hello, I'm looking for some book gift ideas for myself. I work in TV and film, so I'm always chasing titles a year or so before they are published. Oh, fancy. But I fear Mm -hmm. that in chasing things I know my company would make, I miss out on books I would love independent from my work mandate. Recent personal favorites include Notes on an Execution, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, An Invisible Child. Good author comps would be Nina LaCour, Disha Filia, Lauren Groff, Kate Elizabeth Russell, Liao Min, and Brendan Slocum. I tend to love everything Rebecca endorses, no shade, Jeff. You've had some hits, too. That's like being called clever. Kat. Look, Thanks we've had two specific requests for the Jeffiest Jeff book, so. <laughs> two out of three is a D. That's all I've got to say. Um, <laughs> I would appreciate a couple of ideas for books that flew under the radar and or backlist titles that complement the titles mentioned above. Can't wait to hear what you come up with. Thank you. You're welcome, Cat. I'm just going to sit here with my one out of three then and not take it personal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I had such a good time thinking about books for you. Um, Pachinko by Minjin Lee with really big, sprawling, multi-generational does all the things page turner like i did not know that i was going to like it i read it last year right before the show came out and i kept having that thing of like oh i've just been sitting here for a hundred pages and there are many hundreds of pages in that book so you can have that experience multiple times mm-hmm. um the swimmers since jeff mentioned juliet suka earlier i won't go too far in depth about that but it's a little weird very interesting you can kind of imagine that it how it would be on screen and also it's impossible to imagine what yeah. it would be like on screen so I don't think you would have encountered that in your work. Um, My good friend, so all the disclaimers, Megan Mayhew Bergman had a great collection of stories out this year called How Strange a Season that are all about in some way women dealing with their relationship to place and the environment and kind of Mm -hmm. all the different ways that we might interpret environment that they are sharply feminist some of them invent some new like mythology or folklore so there's a little like 
offness happening there. Um, I, I really liked those. I would love to see those on screen. Um, if you haven't read Brandon Taylor, um, yeah. I really, really, I think both of his novels are excellent choices there. He's got and, a new one that I'm hearing some yeah. things about. Have you heard mm-hmm. that like it's going to be a I, big deal? I mean, who knows? Yes. I came across okay. it starting my research for our winter book yeah, draft in a couple of weeks. But yeah, love Brandon Taylor. So if he's not on your radar, I think he'll ring those like the Disha Filia bells. Um, and then the sentence or really any Louise Erdrich. But I think the sentence is low key, my favorite, favorite Louise Erdrich. And it would be hard to adapt and really do it justice. Um, but just that interesting, the world is a little different. The writing is really, really sharp. Um, those are from the, the deep center of my wheelhouse, which you apparently want to be in with me. So welcome. Mm, I'm going completely <laughs> selfish picks. Do it. The first is The Orchard by Adele Crockett Robertson, which I have talked about before as you the have. book I misread. I was trying to look for a different book about apples, and I got this memoir about apple orchards. And this was great. I love this. I'm also doing that. I'd love to see this as a movie. I'm actually sure it connects to any of the authors you mentioned, but it has a really cool frame of Adele Crockett Robertson's daughter finds this manuscript. This is this is the truth. This is the true story. Finds this manuscript under her mom's bed after her mom has died. And her mom w- had a career as a journalist in a small town in Maine. And this is this manuscript is her memoir of her few years during the Depression trying to run the family orchard by herself. And it's beautiful and interesting and heartbreaking and very, very unusual for the era of like 30s memoirs by independent businesswomen. Who knows what she meant to it? It's something her daughter didn't know any of this period. It's before she, um, Adele Crockett Robinson's mother meets her father or any other thing. Like this, this other life that her mom tried and had it worked, she wouldn't exist. That's a weird mind thing to do to someone. I mean, that's a weird mm-hmm. mind experience to have. But plus, the mem- manuscript itself is really interesting. So I'm shouting that out to. I was also looking for a place to talk about post traumatic in this by Chantel Johnson, and now I'm choosing it here because okay. I think I want more Shoot people to shot. read this. I think it would be a wonderful starring vehicle for someone, and I think some of the other authors are not dissimilar. Like it's, it has the diff- it has. The, if you're doing notes on the execution, you don't mind some trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do Lauren Groff, you're interested in complexity and language. You're doing Brendan Slocum. There's a little bit of, I wouldn't say mystery necessarily, but how is this going to end? What's happened? Um, uh, you know, it's people are talking about this less than when we were trying to get people to talk about it. Here it is, post-traumatic, Chantal Johnson, my favorite debut novel of the year, and it's not even close. And when it comes time to talk about my most striking reading experiences, it's going to be mm. hard to keep out of the top five for me this year. So yeah, there you go. That's okay. a great one. It's a really good pick. All right. This next one, somebody looking for a recommendation for their brother. He's an avid reader who enjoys sci-fi, but not fantasy. Authors include Kurt Vonnegut and Octavia Butler. He's also a history buff, especially World War One and classics like the Iliad. And he's been inspired by his girlfriend to read some Russian literature. Would love any recommendations for him since they always exchange books. But the last few years have been tough. <laughs> the Iliad in Latin can only go so far. <laughs> Yeah. Well, especially since it's originally in Greek, so what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> Zone 1, Colson Whitehead. It's science fiction, but it's litfic. It mm-hmm. also has 
a myth-like quality, I guess, is where I'm kind of going with it, or a fable-like quality. It's what if zombies were real, and Manhattan is zone one, so there's some non-zombie territory. And it's written by Colson Whitehead, who can, it's part of the the ongoing tour de force that is Colson Whitehead's tour of genre and litfic con- um, connections. Weirdly underrated now, I think. Um, every, everything after the Underground Railroad now has overshadowed the pre- Underground Railroad, Colson Whitehead. And this is a reminder of how weird he can be. And this is a weird book. And it's really good. Uh, <laughs> so that's my pick. I'd like to go back to Zone 1 and yeah. re- just reread. I think we should do that at some point. That's a great um, idea. I wonder, I'll go Google while you do your pick. Yeah, go Google. What's a good anniversary for Zone 1? Yeah. Um, since you mentioned Kurt Vonnegut, I, I'd get this man some George Saunders literary mm-hmm. writing mostly short stories they have a real vonnegutian vibe uh to me and i think saunders and vonnegut are like cut from the same philosophical cloth so the the ideas the approach to the world i think there's a real like a generosity of spirit to the way that they treat their characters and the way that they treat their readers um that will make saunders i think i feel like this is a pretty good home run for this person also george saunders has a book of about literary criticism of yeah. Russian writers that it's came true. out last year. So that seems like a, an extra checker on those checkers. Maybe also the short stories of Kelly Link. Um, she just does interesting, weird stuff yeah. and is not nearly as widely read as I think she should be. Um, might just be a, a nice curveball to throw him and see how that goes. Zone 1 published in 2012. So if I cancel my Hawaii trip... <laughs> Uh, I can get that read, and we can read it for the end of the year. Ten-year anniversary of Zone One. All right. Well, we published can just by the do Thorndike Press. What was the Thorndike Press? Is that name? Are you looking at a too? weird edition on Amazon I might be or something? A large print or something. It was definitely a PRH book. Yeah, I was going to say this. This must be who does the large print. It was 2012, <laughs> though. So. Okay. Uh, okay. Where were we there? You read, so I'm up next. I did. I'm looking for a book recommendation for my husband. Ideally, I'm looking for sci-fi in the vein of Project Hail Mary. You know, that's only the hardest, like saying, would you like a Harry <laughs> Potter read alike? I know, it's tough. But I know that's a unicorn. Oh, thank you, at least, Amy, for acknowledging that. He loved everything by Andy <laughs> Weir. He's a big fan of the goofy sci-fi of John Scalzi. He read ba- uh, Bobaverse Skyward by Sanderson and Murderbart and likes all of those series as well. Europe, though I think this, the pick here. I think you do have the winning pick here. This one is yes. tough. For me, um, I think, I, I, I mean, nobody does what Project Hail Mary yeah. does. But since you said goofy sci-fi, if somehow this husband has not read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, ain't no goofy sci-fi like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Does kind of the, the invented the genre of goofy sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think it's possible he might have missed it. Like, I know Bob read those when he was a kid as they were coming out or as they were relatively new. And you could be... I don't know, depending on how old these people are, mm-hmm. you could be a person who's reading sci-fi as an adult who just hasn't like made it back to that. But that was yeah. all I had, mainly because your pick is so perfect and you had it in first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu, which came out 11 years ago. Now, But this is older mm. than Zone Wow, one, really? I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I, think, I think I caught it later. Um, it's such so a So Charles book. Yu, who just won the National Book Award last year for Interior Chinatown, this was his debut novel, which is sickening to think about. 
It is a father-son story. Fathers and sons, man. Though you got to throw in quantum travels across <laughs> space-time. So there's this other universe. And in this particular universe, every day people get into their machines and try to go change something about their own past. And that's where Charles Yu steps in. So you see what's happening here. Mm-hmm. I don't need to say anything more. It's, it's touching. So good. It's funny. It's smart. It's making me sick to say all these adjectives that I would like to be, though I'm not as Charles Yu is, especially as not Charles Yu is in the performance that he gives in um, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. I really liked Interior Chinatown, but I really love How to Live mm-hmm. Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. So that's my uh, yeah, that's a How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe is a reading experience I still remember very viscerally and just being like what is he doing and oh look at that it's just wonderful what a great pick there it's great stuff all right you read okay uh let's see last year they learned about powder days by heather hansman from our gift recommendations episode so you're you did remember that correctly thank you very much marissa for being weirdly useful to me in that timing of that (laughs) It was a runaway hit with my husband who loves to ski. Any other wrecks for someone who loves skiing and hiking? As as a um, person who, if I were into these things, I would become Fiasco Man. <laughs> I do actually like reading about these things. Um, my number one pick for you is High Sierra by Kim Stanley Robinson, who is a f- science fiction writer, but also has spent most of his non-writing time hiking the High Sierras. And this book is part memoir, part history, part literary geography of the Sierra Mountains. It's terrific. It's really, really good. Um, A writer writing about something he loves and has maybe unique knowledge about at this point. Um, Really fantastic stuff. If you're going a a little more commercially, Beyond Possible by Nims Perja, so there was also a Netflix series mm-hmm. based on this dude who mountaineered the 14 highest peaks in the world. And this is his memoir. It's more of a gift book, I'd say. There's a lot. I think it's a Patagonia Press or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, National Geographic Society. So a lot of great pictures. Um, so as a gift, it's a, probably a better gift kind of book. But as a reading experience, I pick High Sierra. Though I liked um, Beyond Possible and Nims Purge as well. So... One, both, Nims die, Purge up. Uh, I guess my cut and paste got cut off there. Um, mm. So those are my picture, Barbara. All right. I'm going to go with Unbound by Steph Jagger, which I read on a ski trip a couple of years ago, and I recommend. Uh, she was a or is a competitive skier, and she sets out to break the, rec- the world record for too. most vertical feet. Uh, skied in a year so she travels like she has to chase winter to do this she travels all over the world um, wherever it's snowing at that time of year that's where she is and this is an incredible like you it's, so you get travelogue but it's also just an incredible physical feat and a yes. really challenging thing to put her body through and it's about that experience both the skiing of it and the just pursuit of this big physical challenge and what it means to her why do we do these things like why do we hike tall mountains that are Uh difficult why would someone want to ski the most vertical feet ever like 
you know, you're not going to get a trophy from the universe for having done it. Um, but it means something. And she really digs into that. I really, really enjoyed it. It's maybe the only memoir that got pitched to me as it's like the wild of X that I think actually kind of does that thing. It's pretty close to being like the wild of skiing. Um, and then a little outside the box here, but somebody who likes hiking and the outdoors, if if they're thinking about their relationship to the outdoors at all, Trace by Laurette Savoy is about the history of sort of history and sociology of our relationship, especially in the US, to what we think of as public lands, national parks, the places that hiking happens, and looking back to Trace, so who are the original inhabitants? Mm. It's kind of a land acknowledgement in book form. Mm. Um Really a wonderful, I think, explication and exploration of um, how to how to like live very mindfully, intentionally as a person who's going to be out using those lands, taking advantage of them, enjoying the nature and wanting to be aware of and respectful of the people to whom those lands originally belonged. Um, I found it to just be really smart and thoughtful and a nice addition to, you know, all the other stuff that you can find to read that's just about you know liking hiking um but i'm definitely going to pick up high sierra by kim stanley robinson now that you've that's mentioned. really good it's a little <laughs> on the long side but there are a lot of mountains so it's true play. yeah uh next one's my read Longtime listener first time emailer looking for a personal recommendation here a literary i want this genre i don't have good recs but this is an interesting idea yeah. a literary bro read where you can at least imagine the author finished ap english your jack reacher by way of jasmine ward David Baldecci mm-hmm. and James Patterson vibes with Ishiguro chops. No historical fiction, Cold War cop-outs. I won't do any shade here. There's a name <laughs> mentioned, but, you know, let's let's play fun. I want Rambo action with Robinson prose. Front list, or at least in the last five years. This is fascinating and it difficult. It is. It really is. Do you have anything? Is. I actually thought you might say the name you're going to say. So why don't you okay. do your maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I think maybe Razorblade Tears by wow. S.A. Cosby. Um, really great writing, very sharp on the thriller front. The guns are blazing. The cars are very fast. And I don't ex- know totally where you're going with literary bro read, but this li- this one literally has like a bromance between <laughs> the two main characters. One is... One is a black man, one is a white man. They live in Virginia. A lot of the story actually happens like near where I live in Richmond, which was just an interesting thing to encounter. Their sons were in a relationship with each other and were murdered. And they have these two men who have hated each other, or kind of really had nothing to do with each other, um, have joined together to try to figure out who murdered their sons and maybe extract their their own revenge um, on these people. And so you get like their very unlikely odd couple kind of friendship with a lot of on the page badassery um they're you know fighting car chases people you know doing double crosses there's a mystery all that kind of stuff um that's the closest that i could get i I also really love the way that this person described this genre that they love (laughs) and i would like more of these (laughs) yeah rambo action with robinson prose like come on it's really like wanting an action novel elevated, right? I mean, mm-hmm. an elevated action novel. I mean, this is No Country for Old Men, Cormac mm. McCarthy, mm-hmm. right? Um, these aren't my picks, but I'm saying if you haven't, the if listener, you haven't done these, that's what Cormac McCarthy really, and the, the road is an apocalyptic 
movie with elevation. The talk about singular reading experiences. Um, Elmore Leonard. Check oh, out yes. Elmore Leonard. Like good one. You know that that's that's Quentin Tarantino's sort of single biggest literary inspiration. Like the one a novel he adapted. Um, was uh, is the movie Jackie Brown, which is based on an Elmore Leonard novel of a different name, which is called Rump. I can't think of it right now. It doesn't matter. So those are some blanket picks. So there are some out there. My specific ones, one, Don Winslow has written a bunch of books that are sort of muscular, military, policey kind of books. But my favorite, and I haven't read them all, but the one I really liked called The Force, and it's about a group of dirty cops. Um, I haven't seen We Own the Night, but when I saw the trailer, I was like, mm. oh, that looks like a worse version of The Force. And I'm sure it's great because John Bernthal gives a perfect, and I just haven't watched it. Like, I read that book. I liked it a lot better. In my mind, I could see it as a Scorsese movie with DiCaprio in the lead, with great dialogue, really wonderful characters, and some wonderful New York world building. So that's one. One I thought about, it's one of the first books I read this year. It hasn't gotten talked about as the year has gone on. It's a weird book. Uh, it's Anthem by Noah Hawley, who's a who's a screen or a TV producer and writer, and wrote this book. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's something he thought was going to be made into something else, or maybe it's a story he just wanted to tell because he's written some other books as well. I'm not even sure how to describe this. Go read a summary and see if it strikes your fancy. It's a fever dream of a chase, escape, rescue novel. These these. Kids are in they're in this anxiety abatement center in Chicago. Someone named the Wizard steals one of their friends. They encounter mercenaries. There's also this weird post-apocalyptic thing happen where teenagers are just dying at the same time. So it has this sprawling, phantasmagoric American road trip like vibe to it that I don't know. It has a sort of a fever dream quality. So I think what you're looking for a little bit is like take genre and dial it up dial it up in some way and this is fever dream kaleidoscopic electric kool-aid acid test version of a road adventure quest novel it's doesn't have parallels um going a little bit more genre i think the first book i cue um by you idea ides pardon me it's what if sherlock holmes lived in south central la uh Mm -hmm. which is fantastic it's a really great premise. I think my favorite of the what if Sherlock Holmes was X things, though I just shout out Sherry Thomas, but it gives you a lot of different kind of takes. Um, and it, it, he has three, maybe four books in this series right now. I've, I've lost track a little bit, but it has a little bit more of a gritty, hard-boiled genre of a well-worn literary character, which might be something um, that appeals to. I'm really trying here, Rebecca. Can you hear me trying? I you are. Find I can hear you really trying. I yeah. would love to know where this person lands yeah. also. And if any of these are read and any of them land close, or if you have something you've read that strikes this, please podcast at bookriot.com. Mm-hmm. Any feedback, but that one strikes me there as well. All right. we're get, Can we do the rest? Yeah, we can. We can get there. Okay. All right. Deep breath. All right. We get this. We can do to everyone that. who emailed us. Okay. New fan. Welcome to the yes. podcast. Uh, she's a Thank busy mom much. and a college student currently working towards a master's degree in library science. May all of your efforts succeed. Succeed. Uh, wow. Yes. 
hoping to get a recommendation for themselves. Normally, nonfiction history is my genre of choice, especially exciting narrative nonfiction like Eric Larson, Ben McIntyre, or Candace Millard. I'm excited about a book I pre-ordered by Margaret Wilson called Woman Captain Rebel, the extraordinary true story of a daring Icelandic sea captain. That sounds great. Two shouts uh, with Iceland in our recommendation yeah. extravaganza this year. Well done. <laughs> also a sucker for investigative journalism stories about dumpster fires. AKA Sign me up for that newsletter. <laughs> um, such as the one about uh, the one recently finished by John Kerry Rue about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. That's bad blood. Yeah. Bonus if there's an audiobook version, but that's not a deal breaker. Um, so I looked at Eric Larson and I think a lot of people who like Eric Larson, I mean, no shade. I like Eric Larson too, but I think David Grand is like mm-hmm. maybe a notch better than Eric Larson. Yeah, this is a good pick. Equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got a couple of book length one, book length stories coming out. I mean, the Killers in the Flowers Moon is the one you're going to hear about because speaking of Scorsese and, um, I think DiCaprio is actually the second fiddle. Jesse Plemons plays the lead in that. It's an investigation of a murder on, um. Uh, a Native American reservation. Um, where am I going with this? Oh, and then, but his first book is a series. It's kind of in the rogues profile, the the rogues um, structure. Rather than one long story, you get several of his longer profiles. And he is profiling obsessives in The Devil and Sherlock Holmes by David Grant. That is my pick. I believe there's an audio version. And then if you like that, you can then go tear through the rest of the David Grant. I also think, Jennifer, there's a very good chance you've read David Grant. Yeah. If you have, I guess, good job to both of us because we know what you like. <laughs> but if you haven't, yeah. please try The Devil and Sherlock Holmes by David Grant. Yeah. Lost City of Z would be a good one there, too. Really all yeah, of Yeah, I think are... that's a lot of people's favorite, even as Killers of the Flower Moon has sold more. A lot mm-hmm. of people love Lost City of Z. And I, I really like that too. Yeah. I really love journalism stories about dumpster fires. I'm going to steal that phrase from you, Jennifer. And so I went for Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. Um, it's his story about trying to break the story mm. about Harvey Weinstein. And uh, I just was talking, I think, on the first ver- version of this show about She Said by Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, which is how they broke the story. So Ronan Farrow was reporting it at the same time, interviewing people. It yeah. sounds like maybe he got a little bit of an earlier start than Toohey mm-hmm. and Cantor did. And Weinstein was on to him in a lot, like in really kind of scary ways. There yeah. were like black ops uh firms that were hired doing all kinds of things, investigating Ronan Farrow and trying to intimidate him. Uh, People like shady people were reaching out to him. He was getting text messages with links in them that he should definitely should not click. And since Tui and Cantor actually broke the story and got to write the book about that, he writes the book about all of these attempts, catch and kill is a term in journalism of like what mm-hmm. happens when a publication says that they'll take a story just to kill it. And Weinstein apparently kind of famously now had a, a relationship with a few publications where their editors would like take on the story and allow it to be reported just to bury it so that it would never get out. And that is what's what they're attempting to do with Pharaoh is catch this and kill it before any of it gets out. It is I listened to it on audio and I was like legit nervous for him. And the dude narrates it himself. So like, you so know, you know, he's he going to live. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it's it is high stakes, high tension. Um, he tells you, you know, what he felt like those moments where he thought maybe he was going crazy. Is this worth all of this trouble trying to see so you get the journalism stuff of trying to track down the sources and do the things but also the next level of all these people are after him. And he knows they're after him. And that will make anybody feel paranoid and a little bit out yeah. of their minds. And how do you go about doing it? I that was a really, really memorable listening experience. And um like he's much more in the story than Carrie Rue is in Bad Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, it's it leans heavily on the journalism part of the journalism story about dumpster fires, for sure. There's part right. of me that wonders, and I don't know if we're going to get a book about them both writing books about Weinstein, but it almost feels like <laughs> Pharaoh Rand caused distraction for Tui and Cantor. Like maybe Weinstein was so like worried about him that they didn't get as much until later in the... I don't mm-hmm. know, just a mm-hmm. thought. Um we know that his publicity mercenaries were all over the place. So maybe they also had their own. Yeah. I, I, I know since I just before. saw, she said over the weekend that I, I remembered that Tui and Cantor become aware that Ronan Farrow is working on the story at the same time. And they yeah. don't know how far along he is. Right. So there's that pressure of like, get this story in shape and publish it as quickly as possible. So we beat the New Yorker, but they don't know that all this yeah. is happening with, with Ronan right. Farrow while that's going on. Fascinating. Really stuff. tense. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, every year, my family exchanged books on Christmas Eve, and this year I could use some help with a recommendation for my wife. She does not want to read anything that reminds her of the heaviness of life. Happy books is generally how she describes what she wants. She's read Loved All of Jane Austen, but otherwise isn't into romance. She has enjoyed several books by V.E. Schwab, so can handle some moderate levels of violence in a fantasy setting. The House and the Cerulean Sea, memoirs by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, food, cycling, fitness. Thanks for any suggestions you have, and thank you for your podcast. Oh, nice thing, nice thing, nice thing. Okay, uh, Rebecca, where would you like to begin? This is Okay. Sarah. Yeah, ring the bell because I'm going to recommend Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> yeah, well, you got several bells. It's more of a it's more of jingle bells that you're playing right now uh, with this recommendation. Piece. Yeah, yeah, happy fiction, not my thing, but like fun, mm-hmm. zany, juicy fiction really is, and it's tough to beat Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. The whole trilogy is good, but Crazy Rich Asians, the first one, is great. Um, yeah. Just a huge, very entertaining larger than life cast of characters and there's so much like so much happens in the movie they pack a lot of it in but like so so much more happens in the book it's just a perpetual favorite of someone and if your wife wants to just have a good time reading which Mm -hmm. is the way that i'm choosing to interpret books that aren't about the heaviness of life crazy rich asians is a really good time um a newer book sort of in that same vein and that even had blurbs comparing it to crazy rich asians is the lives of jaded women by carolyn Wynn, which i read earlier this year when it came out and it's about multiple generations of women in this uh, family that uh, legend has it several generations back one of them was cursed and the curse was like that none of the women will have good husbands and none of them will bear sons. Mm. And this is a big deal uh, in this culture. And now we're in the present day with multiple generations of these women sort of feuding between each other, between generations and with each other in their like with their sisters. Uh, just it's just a really good time. It gets at some serious like mother daughter kinds of stuff. But it's a, just a really good time. And I know you said wife does not usually read romance, but I'm going to recommend Evie Drake starts over because it's really light as romances 
go and and you know it's on the rom-com tip of things also linda holmes forever um but a really charming story about a woman who um lives in a small town in maine she's going through some stuff in life she meets a man who's a an mlb baseball player and he's gotten a case of the yips and can't pitch anymore so he's trying to you know get his groove back and they have this just charming relationship that helps her understand her life in a new way it's not you know they, they've both come from heavy periods in their lives and now they mm-hmm. are finding some light again with each other and with their local community and one of the really just memorable happier reading experiences of my last couple of years and you can say this for romances you're gonna have a happy ending yep <laughs> so. I mean, you loved, read and loved all of Jane Austen, but other isn't one romance. It means you can handle some romance. I think maybe category yeah. romance is maybe mm-hmm. what we're talking, capital yeah. R romance. Um, my pick is, I don't think I've ever talked about this book before. I loved this book a few years ago. And the title, again, you're going to have to be okay with a moment of explaining what the book is. <laughs> it's Erotic Stories for Punjabi Women by Bali um, Jaswal. It's commercial fiction. I think it was a Reese's Book Club pick, actually. Mm. Um but the main character is uh, comes from a Sikh community. She wants to be a writer, but is hard up for money. Goes back to her hometown or her neighborhood, I think. I'm, I'm going from memory a little bit, so they're not exactly right. Forgive me. And she answers a call to teach a short story writing class in the, like, the local community center. But there's a miscommunication because all the women who show up thinking they're going to get a basic lit- English literacy course... And she's trying to teach them short stories and in giving them books and them exploring, they find a book of erotica. um, And they think that's what a short story, what it means to write a short story. And so it really opens up this community of, as you might imagine, conservative, shelter, uh, sheltered, maybe, maybe less sheltered than you would think. But it has kind of that kinky boots, full monte, calendar girls vibe of like a pretty buttoned down community that if you scratch the surface and give people some space, they will... (laughs) give you some spice, I guess is maybe a way of putting it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's very charming and very happy. And if you can if you can wrap up something for your wife and give it to you with your family exchange <laughs> that says erotic stories on the front, maybe you'll enjoy that and get it. Maybe you're an agent of chaos. Maybe you're a fiasco man and you can handle that kind of a thing. But this would be my pick uh, for you and uh, to give to your wife. That is absolutely a move that Bob would pull at his parents' house on Christmas morning. I would Excellent. have to unwrap Excellent a book stuff. that said erotic story <laughs> on the front. But Bob he wouldn't Shinsky. give it to your mom. He would give no, it to you, giving, but he wouldn't give it to He'd be giving it to me, yeah. Just, yeah it would yeah. be, uh, he's a, a fiasco man a little bit, I think. We're going to have to <laughs> Gonna have to think hard about that. Yeah, we have to really mull that. Let's, let's hold some space for that, as you would say. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> We haven't had a it's bomb day here. in a it's, while. It's two hours. We're two hours in. We got two more to go. You're read. I know. I'm on like hour ten of my day. I know today. it's late over there. It's late. Hour okay, ten. Hour. I started six thirty. That's true. We're both. It's been a long day. Here. Long day. Okay, you go. Um, all right. This person is shopping for their 94 year old grandmother. Oh. Um, good job, you. This is why, first this is why of all. we have to get to the end. 
This is why we have to uh, What does she like? Her two favorite authors right now are Robin Merrill and Grace Green. It says, I haven't read either, but they seem to be Christian literature with mystery Do you know what those lines. are, Rebecca? I do I've not. I've never heard those. Okay. I yeah, trust I this listener to, to have too. done their homework. Uh, they say, I've been looking into other Christian literature, but struggling to find good escapist or fun books. While they certainly have their place, I'm trying to avoid books that are focused around grief and death. To your utmost horror, she's now speaking to us. <laughs> I gave her Crawdads last year, and it pushed her out of her comfort zone, and she loved it, made my family all read it, so I am not tied <laughs> to Christian literature. The only hard requirement is that it has to be available in large print. Would love your thoughts, and thank you in advance. Also, they heard the Planet Money episode on ebook pricing and thought of us. <laughs> I don't think I've heard this. Is this recent? <laughs> Stephanie? I, I know, don't know. I'll look it up. I, can, yeah. I can't imagine that your blood pressure needs this, though, Jeff. <laughs> when I get back. Yeah. Uh, large print means it needs to be fairly popular. That's all I'm doing. I didn't check if these are in large print. On the So I went cozy, heartwarming, non-threatening. And mm-hmm. the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society by, I think, Mary Schaefer and, and Annie Burroughs. I can't. Schaefer and Burroughs is what I have in my notes. Um, there's a bit of a story about that, but it's set in the in the islands between the UK and Europe during World War II. Nazis happen as the as they do in these books, <laughs> and this little group of people form a, a miniature resistance around their book club. Um, so I think it's going to have the comforting, non-challenge. I mean, at least it's not morally challenging. Nazis are bad. Books are good. People are together fighting or resisting Nazis in the way they know how is good. And I'm, it's super popular, so I'm sure it's available in large print. I'm looking for some sort of crawdads thing. So I went, I went kind of light thriller. And okay. I was thinking maybe one of the first two Celeste Aings. I picked everything I never told you, but I was going to refer to you. I was going to ask you, do you think everything I never told you or Little Fires Everywhere? I, I went let everything I never told you, but if you were to pick between those two, what would you select oh. as a crawdads thriller? There's some stuff happening, relationships. You see what I'm getting at, maybe. I do see what you're getting at. And my memory for books I read five years ago is so bad yeah, that I okay, can't tell fine. you the difference between yeah. those at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's uh, a good what? zag. I know what actually I, I'm gonna I'm I'm zagging from my zag, which is I think little fires everywhere by Celeste. That's the one I would pick. Okay. Um, well, I like your zig and your zag here. I think that's a thank good. You. Thank you very much. A good guess. And you know, I guess bro- more broadly for Stephanie, go back to the Reese's Book Club list um, and just see idea. what's there because Crawdads was on that list. There's definitely mm-hmm. some other stuff like this um, that you can probably feel out is it going to be like too political or too challenging um at this point but i think that might be a place to go there's some crowd pleasers on there for sure um Mm -hmm. i have been staring at this all afternoon trying to decide what to pull it is a hard one i like my books spicy um but i remembered when i was a kid and like or just when I was aging into being old enough to read some adult fiction, my mom had like a brief stint being into the Mitford series by Jan Karen. And these are like, I think Christian fiction in the way that like one of the main characters is the town pastor and everybody yeah. lives in this town called Mitford, but they're not about Christian themes. It's just like gentle and safe. This like the content is just gentle and safe and kind of a Gil like an older Gilmore girls vibe from what I remember. <laughs> is that Grey Gardens? I thought that was Grey Gardens. Maybe. I'm like 
going back 30 years in that, my memory here. I like, here. it's a nice pull. Like, I, like I think we listened to some of them on tape in our minivan on road trips when I was nine years old. Um, so they were safe for kids. <laughs> um, but I remember my mom liking those. There's a million of them. I think they were relatively popular. So they're I would guess there were large print at the time. I don't know if you could still find the large print, but that was like, there's a jillion of them. It's a memorable cast of characters. You can go back and visit this little small town. So if she likes the first one, she'll probably like the next 20 or however many (laughs) there are. And then you can set grandma up for a while. Um, But that's, that was a big reach, but that's the, that's the reach I've got today. (laughs) I just had an idea. Tell me what you think. And we won't belabor this, but what about fried green tomatoes? Oh, yeah, because no one picks up on the they don't get it. They lesbianism. They secret lesbians, or not so secret, depending on how you think about it. And it's got a crawdads thing going on in terms of, you know, <laughs> someone's got to go. I think stealthily giving your grandma a lesbi- a work of lesbian fiction that's like seminal in some corners of the community is a or good act of... Ca- as, oh, I've got to edit this. Jeff... <laughs> That's a fiasco man move right there. Give your grandma fried green tomatoes and hope she doesn't notice that it's super gay. Oh, I'm, I'm tearing up. What have I done? Can I leave that All in? Right. I can't tell. I think you can. You think I can leave that in? I'm leaving it in. It's not as bad as the one you did the other day. So Yeah, I know that one had to be extracted yeah. forever. All right, last okay. one, last one. Ooh. All right, you read it since I have the only wreck. Okay. Uh, looking for what I call warm magic. The Night Circus, the Starless Sea, the Invisible Library, and Caraval all feel like a dark, magical cup of hot chocolate. Listener, whatever else you're doing in your life, you need to start writing book blurbs. And she says, I'm not really sure how else to describe the vibe these books have. I'm hoping you understand the feeling these books give and can recommend something that has the same feel. Jessica. Normally, I wouldn't be able to. And I'm not sure this exactly fits. But the first half of Babel um, by R.F. Quang, which is you may have heard of us talk about it several <laughs> times. It's all over your TikTok if you're on that. It has that historical fiction fantasy vibe. Um, It's about a group of kind of misfits that enter Oxford in 1834, I think is the year that we begin this. Um, And it's fantasy in that they're there to study translation, but translation has a magical power. And that magical power, it doesn't really matter at this point, is to manipulate silver to do magical things. And the first half of the book is the world-building Oxford, early 19th century, the campus, the studies, the language, their camaraderie. There's like a little bit of Dead Poets. There's a little bit of Harry Potter. There's a little bit of The Night Circus. There's a little bit of a lot of different things that you like. I think there's a little bit of Invisible Library and a lot of different things into it. But it's more overtly political. And then the second half of the book really picks up the the pace and picks up the action. Um and so it's going to be a little spicier than just hot chocolate, but I think you're going to like it. People do like it. Turns out things that are good and people <laughs> like are often good, and this one is good. I told Rebecca don't read it because of all the world building stuff, but I think that's what you're there for. These are mm-hmm. not, I mean, the Night Circus you like, but the world building there is not as intense as some other things, I should say. I mean, it, it definitely is. It's built around relationships. And the thing that holds Babel together is 
there's a little it's a little overstuffed in the translation it's a little i dial back some of the political it's all there it's just maybe dial it back a little bit for my taste personally because you get a lot of it on the other hand it's sumptuous and you get to live in this world for a long time and then the action and stakes really elevate and you go into it so maybe it's spiked hot chocolate you know it's got a little brandy in there it's got, or maybe absinthe depending on what you think um but I, I think this is the book to try i think you have to try this jessica uh for yourself okay that's All right. our show well done the wheels just came off a little bit (laughs) a little bit uh didn't even recommend marilyn robinson this time we didn't didn't so happy holidays to you all happy book buying i hope you find something that you love to read and i hope you are feel good about whatever you buy for someone else rebecca real pleasure as always yeah if you hit it out of the park with one of these please let us know please let us know um, we'll talk to you all later. Show notes. All right. We're going to list all these. I'm going to do it tonight where I'm editing podcast show notes before I get on a plane at 5 a.m. tomorrow <laughs> for all of you. They're all going to be there. They're going to be in order. I'm not copying everything. So you have to look and click, but they will be there. Um, bookriot.com slash listen. Go check out the Patreon for other things that are happening there. My brain is mush. I'm not even sure what's recent, <laughs> what's coming out next. Patreon.com slash bookriot podcast. Appreciate you all that have uh, signed up over there. More to come. We'll see you soon. All right. Happy holidays, y'all.